everyone is entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And I guess uh, sort of in advance of the fake news crisis, I've believed we're headed toward a place where there's just more and more subjectivism and we don't have a lot of shared dialogue and it's because we don't start with shared facts. tuning in. I am Chuck Williams. Joining me in Nebraska is Brendan Williams. Brendan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Every week, I think this is this is crazy. And then the week <laughs> after that, it just it just goes. It just keeps going. <laughs> it's, it's just ex- more exponential. Hill, exponential craziness, man. We're going for baby <laughs> steps. And joining us in Arlington, Texas is the great Matthew Hodges. Matt, how you doing, man? You know, I'll tell you, I'm I'm a little pissed off, actually. Oh, really? I had such a funny <laughs> joke to write for our, or, to, that I'd written for our intro, and mm-hmm. then they fired Scaramucci, and now it's completely irrelevant. Like, you know, I, the mooch screws the pooch again. With all of the ridiculousness that's going on in the Trump administration. Dude, it was so fast, it reminded me of a Hanson song. It was like, in an umbop, you're gone. In an umbop, <laughs> you're not there. Yeah. So. And then you get old and you lose all your hair man maybe we need to That's cut a lyric a in the Hansen song into here you know just, <laughs> just to rest in peace scaramucci's political career with trump although he may be back <laughs> we'll have to see but in addition to that we want to talk a little bit about all the people that tend to be jumping ship voluntarily via the public press right isn't that right <laughs> yeah i mean it seems like maybe the cracks are starting to form and some uh, Republican op-eds are just leaking out of being like, maybe yeah. this isn't so great, guys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we got to come to our senses. But, you know, the Democrats don't have it all together either. No, uh, they don't. And in fact, they seem to be going the opposite direction. Instead of, you know, taking the W, they seem to want to be, you know, trying to work with these people whose party is absolutely crumbling. And mm. yeah, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to I I look at what the Democrats are up to. After our... After our excellent roundtable last week on Nancy Pelosi's better deal that they're still mm. trying to defend on Twitter, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about that, too. There's a lot to be said, indeed, on that, as well as on Nebraska's very own Ben Sass wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, and we will cover that, and it'll kind of bleed into our high note. So all this and more, so I guess, why don't we just uh, jump right in? Okay, so I think my favorite thing about the Scaramucci thing so far is all of these people who are going like, guys, like, look, I know you want to laugh about this, but I mean, the guy, the guy had to sell his company, his wife divorced him, he doesn't get to see his kids, like, this, this isn't a laughing matter. And then them just being absolutely dunked on left and right. How is this not funny? Like, yeah. nobody held a gun to his head yeah, that and makes made it, him take this job that was obviously a bad choice. Yeah, that makes it way funnier. It wouldn't be funnier it, yeah, it at all. Yeah, it way funnier. <laughs> that right. didn't happen. The fact that he sold a company to Chinese people, like, right. just to take the job. 
I mean, if only there was some way for him to know that Trump doesn't reward people's loyalty. I mean, he was just blindsided yeah, if, if by this. If only there was some way to know <laughs> if there was something to tell him, like history or something, you know, like right. If only Even just the past thing. six months history, you yeah. know, if, if only there was some way for him to know that this administration is so deeply dysfunctional and that the president will fire someone on a whim just because whatever, it makes his ego feel bad. Well, and the craziest thing is, like, he probably would still have a job if he didn't just fly off the handle and go on a, like, profane rant on the record with a reporter. <laughs> right. Like, it's not like... He was like, he did everything right, and Trump just tossed him to the curb. It's right. like, no, he totally shot himself in the yeah. face. Yeah. Like, guys, the, I mean, the lesson here is that you shouldn't go on a coke rampage with uh, the New York Post. Um, was it New York Post, the New Yorker? No, it was the There's, New Yorker. <laughs> it was the New York, yeah. I've had so much trouble keeping that straight. There's too yeah. many. New yeah, New York the lesson magazines. is you, you shouldn't go on a, a cocaine fueled rampage. With the New Yorker before you even start your job, or you might lose it. Like I, I don't know why that's funny. That's that's Let, important. Might have just been alcohol there. Lesson learned. <laughs> Lesson learned. I mean, you you win some, you lose some. You know, you just got to learn from it and move on. You know, yeah. <laughs> maybe change your dose. Yeah, in in your own in your own apartment, separated from your family. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I think. The thing that blows my mind is all these people now saying like, well, we have to applaud Trump for doing the right thing what? And, and firing him. You know what I mean? Like, this is a step in the right direction. It's bringing normalcy back to the White House. I don't know about that. I don't know that there ever was a thing called normalcy in this administration. I just love I just love what the uh, what the organizational chart looks like or, or the. Like the Game of Thrones is going on. Oh my God, am I a liberal now? I just compared our politics to Game of Thrones. Yeah, dude, <laughs> stop that. Um, Cut it okay, out, so Trump hires Scaramucci to come in so that he can push for Sean Spicer to be replaced. Scaramucci puts Sarah Huckabee Sanders in place and then starts agitating to get rid of Reince Priebus, who gets fired. Trump appoints John Kelly, the new chief of staff, who then comes in and fires Scaramucci. It's amazing. Dude, it was just Trump's four-dimensional chess game where <laughs> he wanted to get out Priebus and Spicer anyway, and he was like, but it'll look bad if I do it. I need somebody to come in as, you know, out of left field, just do my dirty work for me, get in, get out. Right. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> Scaramucci came in like a freaking cluster bomb, man. It's just like he came in and took everybody out. It was just like Spicer, Priebus, his nine months pregnant wife, and now himself, you know. So I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I think the anybody who's trying to say that this was some sort of like intentional plan by, by Trump is totally deluding themselves. And I think the proof is just in the fact that Scaramucci is going through a messy divorce right now. Like, right. if this was all some sort of game, you know, I don't think that that would be that would be happening. Well, you right. know, and speaking of games, everyone with liquid flannel knows that I like to compare things to sports. But when it comes to Scaramucci's political tenure in the Trump administration, the only sport I can think of that has the same kind of lifespan is mechanical bull riding. You know, like <laughs> it's like you're on, you're off. That's it. 
It's like, whoa, man, I didn't even know what happened. You know? So. I think that is that is a pretty good comparison for just participation in the Trump administration. It, it, it's like a bull, bull riding competition. Ball, it's like a rodeo, where it's just like, how long can you hold on to this wild Seriously, ride? Then you get bucked off, and they have to bring in the clowns and stuff to distract them. <laughs> the clowns are everywhere. There's so many clowns. The scaramouches. <laughs> man. Yeah, so my, my question is then, I mean... Obviously, John Kelly doesn't have the kind of patience for, I mean, he's a military man, doesn't have the patience for the, you know, this, this circus, this rodeo that we've seen. So under his, my question is, under his chief of staff reign, is he going to actually get this administration working functionally? I mean, it- or, or more comparatively functionally, or is he going to just run screaming from this job in like three months. I mean, it's mind blowing to me that he would even accept, accept the this job. job. Right. Like, I don't understand what is in it for him. Like, if you're a respected general, why in you're running the Department of Homeland Security, right? That's a pretty important job. If you're a respected general, you might think I'm doing a very important job right now. But then Trump comes over to you and says like, hey, man, I got everybody who works for me. I don't know what I'm doing. People are leaking all over the place. People, the morale is low. Screw that Homeland Security nonsense. What I need you to do is come over and babysit everyone. And then this guy goes, okay, sure. Great, great idea, Mr. President. Like, I just don't understand the thinking there. Well, especially since, I mean, liberal commentators, NPR loves to talk about how you know, this is a president who likes it when his staff is all infighting. Like, he, he thinks that, you know, his staff being competitive and backstabbing, that's good because it keeps people, you know, on you know on the edge of their seats all the time. They're always bringing their A game, which, I mean, I, I think the, the proof that we've seen over the past few months isn't that since they can't get anything done. Mm. But also, like, if that's the case if that's actually cogent analysis then why would he have hired a chief of staff who's completely opposed to everything like that well one thing that i like is how you know people that have no concept of business that voted for trump anyway saying you know he's a business guy business guys want as few people reporting to them as possible and they want to delegate as much of the work downstream as possible so the idea that he would put so many people under him and circumventing Reince Priebus to begin with, that was just, that's puzzling to me because it's like either he doesn't know how to run good, successful business or he just felt like he couldn't trust Reince, which is like, well, why would you have him in the first place? So, right, well, but we, we know that he doesn't know how to run good, successful business right. for one thing. We I mean, know that. He's got this but 30% of America of doesn't. ripping people off until he finally declares bankruptcy. And then also, ah, right. uh, shit, I had another thing. So <laughs> My bad, man. But I think, is it is it possible for him to even get the White House back on track? Like, even if he took complete control and just started running a tight ship over there they're so far behind i don't i mean in order to get something back on track there has to be 
a place where tracks exist and a goal to get to <laughs> right. somewhere, right? Right. That yeah. is not there. So even if he is the most effective, you know, manager of all time, yeah. without a direction and without, you know, steps to hit along the way, no matter how good you are at running, you know, yeah. an organization, if your organizational goals are incoherent and yeah. impossible, there's nothing yeah. that you can do. Yeah, like if you're in charge of running disorganization, you know. Right. <laughs> like, so. And so, yeah, I mean, Trump, you know, in a in a in a normal administration, you might say, okay, you know, they had some problems, but they're bringing in this right. new guy. He runs a tight ship. Like maybe you can get back on track. Going to turn him around. Right. You know that Trump can, is incapable of doing that. He's incapable of going out on Twitter and saying stupid nonsense every day. That just right. starts a new media firestorm. Right. I mean, this guy's a general. How do you think he felt about when Trump was out there just freelancing military policy about transgender soldiers? Yeah, you know, for sure. That's not procedure. So even if Trump, let's say Trump wanted that to be his goal, this guy is supposed to effectively make that goal happen when literally no one agrees with Trump that that's a good policy idea. So even if he was trying to effectively do that, the policy idea is still going to fail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no clear agenda coming from the top. You know, it doesn't matter how good an executor you are of somebody's agenda if there's no clear objective. You know, he Trump can't keep himself to one topic long enough like he's not even out there he doesn't go campaigning for the health care bill he doesn't go out there you know as soon as it looks like the the wind might be blowing the other direction he says well this isn't going to be on me you know uh that's got to be incredibly frustrating for someone with a military background and yeah like you said i i can't imagine why the man would ever take the job right right and i mean now he's got to find a new communications director <laughs> which has to be an impossible task. Like who are they going to possibly find to fill this role after the last guy that Trump, everybody told Trump, like, this is a terrible idea. People were like, if you do this, I'm going to quit. And then did. And he did it anyway. And it blew up in his face. Like when you've got the president making decisions like that, absolutely no amount of discipline or, you know, military esque structure is going to save you. Um, Yeah. Right. You know, uh, one of my one of my favorite takes I saw on Twitter about this was, you know, remember that when they started, Trump was he was with his A team. You know, this was these are like his the the front of the bench people that he was putting into into positions. Right. Oh, and there were so many people during the campaign. I mean, Trump himself said, I'm going to hire the best people. So even though I'm not experienced, I'm going to hire the best best people people working for me. (laughs) Right. And then, you know, said there were people making excuses for him during the campaign saying, like, Trump's going to get the best team. He doesn't have to be an expert because, you know, if he just reads, right, if he just studies for an hour on any topic, he can be a genius at it. Um, And it's like, (laughs) you know what, that that. clearly is exposed as. I've I've heard that before. I think we're going to end up with, uh, like, Scott Adams being the the next communications director he just like a dilbert cartoon instead of a <laughs> press briefing every day <laughs> did, did you see that uh someone said dude you look you look like you're not aging very well 
and he sent them back a picture of his like torso. Like, oh, Scott Adams shirtless torso, like oh, to yeah. prove he'd been. Oh, he's amazing. Out. Yeah, yeah. It, it is funny <laughs> that he would be such a Trump guy because his Dilbert comics really show like the pointy-haired boss is Trump. Like right. that guy's full Trump, where he's at the top of the company, but he has no idea how anything works, and he just makes you know like stupid ideas, and then tr- people try to accomplish his stupid ideas and fail and then he makes fun of them for failing i mean right but you'd think that this guy of all people would identify like wait a minute this isn't good management style i can't get on board with this except the flip side is that dilbert is like the beta male and scott (laughs) adams might be the beta male looking up to the boss thinking man the boss he could he's able to talk to women the way that i want to talk to women Oh and, no! I, you know, you, you obviously haven't been following Scott Adams beyond Dilbert, then, because he thinks of himself as this like mind controlling, you know, alpha male. Uh, he's like giving giving sexual homework assignments to all of his thralls that he talks to through his blog and stuff. Like, wow! Like, no, dude, you're not you're not some polymath genius. Right. You just happen to hit. You know that like mid '90s ennui about how stupid my boss is, and made a whole bunch of money. That doesn't make you right, dude. That that doesn't make you a Renaissance man. I can't even imagine what Dilbert groupies must be like. That's just mm. I just it's something that I have a lot of trouble got envisioning. Got wrinkled tides, that's for sure. <laughs> Dogs wearing spectacles and shit. <laughs> well, speaking of jumping ship uh, on the Republican Party. Uh, I mean, do you think, is this the beginning of the end for Trump? I mean, I guess like when, once Trump got nominated, it was really the beginning of the end, but it seems like (laughs) the downward trajectory has just been accelerating here in the last couple of weeks. Well, cause we're, we're actually seeing some Republicans come out against him or saying, you know, this, this could be the end of the Republican party as we know it. Well, in the words of Winston Churchill, it could just be the end of the beginning. But, uh, well, you know, I think that everyone's starting to grow a little bit of a, a little bit of a backbone and it seems to all be at the same time. Right. So, oh, I don't think, I don't think it's backbone. I think it's just ass covering. Oh, it's total self-interested, like preservation, a, like maybe gotcha. I need to start distancing myself so that maybe I don't get tied to Trump as an anchor dragging me down. During right. The yeah. Backbone, backbone would have looked like. I don't believe that this president's actually going to do anything good for us, and I'm going to oppose him when he's wrong, you know, back before he started making all of these mistakes. Mm. Yeah, now it's just now it's just trying to cover their ass. But yeah, I mean, I think the, the Obamacare repeal failure, you know, even though it's like, is it really dead or, you know, who knows, you know. Right. You know, like a horror movie, you know, the sequels just keep coming and they just keep finding more <laughs> and more outrageous ways to bring the villain back over and over again. Uh, But that I think was the last straw for a lot of Republicans, right? Is, is saying, you know, that after this huge embarrassing public failure that has made us all look like idiots, you know, it's time to say, look, we can't be standing behind Trump anymore. Uh, A sitting Republican Senator published an op-ed earlier this week called my party is in denial about donald trump we (laughs) created him now we're rationalizing him when will it stop Mm, this is by arizona senator jeff flake 
a congressman from Colorado published an op-ed called The Republican Party is Dead. This is a Republican sitting congressman. And more and more people, it seems like, have been increasing their their vocal uh, you know, opposition to the president, even though maybe they're not actually doing much other than just saying like this is not a good look you guys right well and that was that was my question right because i didn't read the jeff flake article but i did read the one in the uh in the denver post the republican the republican party is dead one that's ken buck uh, this is from uh, ken buck and as far as i can tell what he's advocating for is more of Basically, what Paul Ryan wants to happen, what Mitch McConnell wants to happen, it's all these dog whistles about, you know, we're we're on the wrong track. What we really need to do is, and then coded language for, like, gut entitlements, not raise taxes on rich people. Like, it's it's all exactly the same policy platform. I think he's not mad about Donald Trump being president so much as he's mad that Donald Trump is so inept that they can't get any of this ghoulish shit done. Oh, absolutely. And I think we've been kind of saying this for a long time, and and a lot of people on the left have been saying this, is like, look, Trump's not even a Republican. Like, he says he's a Republican, he ran on the Republican ticket, and he's a Republican president. Right. But he's not into what is traditional Republican ideology. He doesn't care anything about that. Republicans thought... That doesn't really matter because we're going to do that Republican stuff and he'll just sign it and he doesn't actually need to be involved. But it's turning out that that's not actually the case. You actually need the president on your side to understand what you're doing to help get those ideas to the finish line in an effective way. And yeah, so, I mean, they needed an ideologue and what they got was a guy who, I mean— He's he's somebody who would have thrown a temper tantrum if he didn't win like second place in the student council election mm-hmm. uh, in high school. You know, like all he cares about is a claim. So as soon as it looks like he's not going to get that, he just abandoned ship. Right. So I mean, they're not they're not out there saying like, you know, republicanism is dead because of what Republicans stand for being ineffective, even though they should be doing that. Right. They're out there saying Republicanism is, is dead because we've tied it to Trump and Trump is a horrible figurehead for our, for our party. <laughs> right. So, you know, they're coming yeah. at it from that way. Well, and you know, meanwhile, you, you, you can tell that they're in exactly the same ideological space too, because this Ken Buck article does the little uh, like sleight of hand thing that they love to do. Uh, where he says, let's you know, those who called themselves Republicans have a strong heritage. Abolitionists founded the party to rid this country of the scourge of slavery. It's like we and, know, we know you guys are the ones that liked black people first. We know, right? Yeah, know, we we know that. We you know, know that. They, they bring Thank he brings up uh, Abraham Lincoln. He brings up Teddy Roosevelt and trust busting. It's like you know that most of us know that that's not what the party stands for anymore and hasn't stood for since like the 1950s right well and it's also interesting i mean he's bringing up near the end that coloradans are the ones that can um show the way forward and stuff you know we have a vision for the meaningful we can pass (laughs) a balanced budget amendment a responsible spending bill reforms on health care blah 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 all these things and it's like yeah but you guys also have 
legalized marijuana, which is a real good cushion for doing all the things you're talking about there, and nobody else has that. So Yeah, yeah that's a really know, good point. I mean, that's one luxury that... <laughs> You don't get everywhere else. So Right. Well, I mean, look, if if some Republican congressman from Colorado wants to go out and say advocate for right, this, yeah. Like, no, this I'm is, all for it. It's for working sure. for Colorado. Maybe you guys should try it. <laughs> I'm not gonna look gift advocacy in the mouth. <laughs> so <laughs> But yeah, I think a lot of these you know, Republicans, they're not they're not attacking Trump because of his Republicanism. They're attacking Trump because he's hurting Republicanism. Sure. Uh, and the brand. They're not like switching sides. Although the Democrats certainly think that a lot of Republicans are ready want to to actually switch sides. Right. Well you had mentioned that before too, that you were wondering if people were going to switch parties coming up before this election didn't you say that well i I think as the republicans are finding now it's it's gonna be a really challenging election for them Mm -hmm. to run on the republican ticket when trump is dragging them down so now they kind of have to play this game of separating republicans from trump and from democrats right or they could say look you know now we're the party of bipartisanship, right? We're mm. Republicans need to work with Democrats and, you know, we need to change our tone. So I think people like uh, Dean Heller in Nevada mm. and people like, you know, the the other senators who voted against health care. The kind of senators that called Trump crazy on a hot mic. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Those kind of, yeah, exactly. Those kind of senators who are saying, like, this is nuts behind right. closed doors. Right. You know, they have a choice to make. Do they continue down this Republican ticket? Can they do enough to separate themselves from Trump while still being a Republican? Or do they need to actually go full circle and say, look, I'm not a Republican anymore, as some people have done? Not any sitting Congress people yet, although. You know, in past years, that has happened. I mean, people have totally flipped parties right. or become independent, like Bernie Sanders is. Yep. And I think they'll. I think we'll. Jim Jeffords back in the the early two thousands. Right. I think we'll see some people flip to independent. I mean, Lisa Murkowski is almost independent right now. The the senator from Alaska, mm-hmm. she ran as a write in candidate because the Tea right. Party guy in her in Alaska won the primary. Yeah. And so she said, "Well, I'm still going to run." as a Republican, but as just as a write-in, and she won. Yep. So for me, it makes no sense for her to continue to label herself as a Republican when... Because it doesn't hurt her either way in right. terms of her brand. You know, sure. she would right. probably even get more support as an independent, you know, from both sides of the aisle. Right. Um, but the Democrats are really... I mean, we talked last week about their... Uh, the better plan or what was what it deal. the better deal i don't i've I already <laughs> forgot it that's how memorable it is man uh, the better deal <laughs> where they are basically trying to reach out to the the white working class audience and right. they're going even a step farther now because well hold on uh, yeah cuz uh, i mean i think we should dig into this a little bit deeper but i i do think we should take a break cuz i'm i'm not i'm not nearly as optimistic that we're going to see Republicans flipping sides as we're going to see the Democrats watering down their uh, perspectives and a bunch of other Republicans just going along with exactly what they've been going for and just trying to distance themselves from Trump. But 
I do think we ought to take a break and then dig into All that right. a little bit more. Good yeah, call. we'll take a moment, let you take a little breather here, get you emotionally ready for this, and we'll go back. And it felt hollow and empty and not rigorous enough. And I didn't, I, I fault them in a way, but mostly I faulted their parents and my parents and our grandparents to say, wait a minute, what have we done to lose the transmission of a work ethic to these kids. And you realize that some of this is a sociological problem. We live at a time in history where work has been so separated from the home that there really isn't much work for kids to do when they're 10 or 12 or 14. Do you think that Trump will hit back at Ben Sass and make a Ben's ass joke? Or <laughs> what a sasshole? <laughs> totally. Trump is like, let's get sasshole trending. Seriously, oh, Trump, shit. if you get sasshole trending, hashtag liquid flannel. Um, <laughs> Co-trending. Seriously. I love that Mike Cernovich has just spent like the last two weeks in bed crying. Can you imagine being married to that dude? To Mike Cernovich? He just like periscopes his life, right? Of him just ranting about being like an alpha and taking pills. Oh, man. Well, did you see the one over the weekend where (laughs) some kid who looked like uh, he was doing a Rushmore cosplay at like an ant culture speech saw him and he's like, gorilla mindset, right? Gorilla mindset and started following him around. Mike Cernovich is like... Talking about nootropics. I'm being assaulted. Like, you're in my personal space. I'm being assaulted right now. And he basically just like runs away from it and then continues to periscope about like, this is a gorilla mindset. Like, you know, you find yourself in this kind of position. Like, I just had to get out of there. Like, that's... Wait, that's Gorilla Mindset? The funniest part is that dude, he clearly was trying to make fun of Mike Cernovich, as you should. If you ever see Mike Cernovich in person, please mock him relentlessly. Seriously. But this dude was doing it in a lighthearted way. And he was like, hey, man, I've been taking your pills and I haven't slept 12 days. Right. And instead of of Cernovich going like, dude, that was was great. Like, what's your name? You know, Mm. nice to meet you. I'm glad you're a fan or something. something. It was like immediately, this man's assaulting me. Stay back, sir. This man's assaulting me. Like, this this is the left. They always do this. They're assaulting me. They're threatening me. I wouldn't want to run into Mike Cernovich in real life because his eyes are so close together. I would feel like I was going cross-eyed trying to make eye contact with him. Did you hear any, and on the way, home from this fan encounter he periscoped and was like you could just tell looking at that guy he wasn't human he was a i don't know if he was like yeah. a replicant <laughs> or, what, or a reptilian or whatever but you could just tell there was something satanic and aura around him i knew that cernovich like ran in the same circles as alex jones he was a pizza gator but i thought that was about as deep as his uh conspiracy theorizing got i didn't realize he was he was buying into like reptilian or uh, like B people, I don't know. I, I think we should uh, make that a thing. That like some people are just like skin suits filled with bees. Yeah, well, that's gonna be in my next D and D campaign. That shit about Hillary Clinton, you know, passing out and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, let's be clear, she did pass out that one time. Well, she did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she spreading... might be mentally unstable. Who <laughs> he knows? was spreading like the cause of it or something as something completely crazy. Oh so. yeah, they were all talking about how she had really bad Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or something like that. Like, no, yeah. it just turns out she's yeah. like a 70-year-old woman who was in the heat and hasn't had more than four hours of sleep in six months. <laughs> right. Hmm. She's, you know, she's like a reptilian, so it's probably like some reptilian disease or whatever that only Cernovich would know Yeah, oh, no, I, about I'm sorry, but uh, as a biologist, I have to step in here because <laughs> a reptilian would have more energy in that kind of heat, not less. <laughs> 
They are ectothermic. Hillary Clinton, reptilian confirmed, unless she wanted us to think that, and she's just faking it to throw us off the trail. Right. No, she would have been perfect, actually, because the numbers that are coming from climate change scientists are talking about how the D.C. climate's going to be something like Bahrain in the next, like, 10 or 15 years. So she actually would have been great. She would have been the most energetic president we've ever had, if she were actually a reptilian. She should have just ran on that strong reptilian platform, you know, and she would have drawn the, she would have drawn that, yeah, that middle class, you know, working class reptilian vote. I mean, that's an underserved demo right there. I guess you could call that in a reptile dysfunction. <laughs> Ooh. Boom. Well, I think that's a perfect lead in. We wanted to talk about how... The Democrats, even though it seems like there's a lot of energy in the progressive left, the activist wing of the party right now, they really, really want those Trump voters so bad. The campaign chief of the Democratic Party uh, came out and said, hey, just so, just so everybody knows, there is not a litmus test for Democratic candidates. Like, there's no litmus test. That's that's how the statement starts. There's literally no litmus test. There's no there's no thing that we're going to actually hold people to, apparently. Right. Sweet. Like, any, like you want, you think gay people should be executed? Like, hey, we're a big tent party. Yeah, right. Like, uh, right. This isn't purity politics here, mm. you know? So, but of course, the issue that, that the litmus test refers to is pro-life, pro-choice. So, they're basically saying, hey, Democrats, if you are... Uh, you know, thinking about you're a Republican, but, you know, you're pro-life. Sure. Why not? Come on. Come on board. We hate Trump together and then we'll figure it out later. I mean, do you think, first of all, do you think this will work? Like, who, why, why are they doing this? No, it won't work. It absolutely won't work because, OK, yes, abortion is a big wedge issue between Democrats and Republicans. But Republicans, Republican voters, especially white working and middle class Republican voters, have a whole suite of other issues that they hate the Democrats on. There's no way that you're going to get a bunch of people who genuinely believe that the Democrats are like Muslim socialist lizard people to swing on this one issue. All you're going to do is just chase away, you know, even more of like the women who ostensibly should always be voting Democrat. It's basically you're giving up on a discussion about that issue, right? You're right. just saying like, we, yeah, we're not even going to talk about it. Like you want to be right. pro-life? Like, uh, I don't know. I can't argue against that. Uh, I'll just, so you just do that. You just do yeah. that right now. And just it's like- be ready to explain yourself right. when you get on the stage. <laughs> so, you know, this is something that I've been thinking about for a while is that the Democrats really need to- you can't the abortion is a wedge issue and even if you start saying like sure we're open to pro-life any hardcore republican is just going to say like nah, i don't believe you because you're being disingenuous and you are so what i think democrats should do is rebrand pro-life rebrand themselves as pro-life right mm -hmm. yeah say look trump's out there he wants to bomb Muslims. He wants to murder everybody. He wants yep. the police to beat you in the well, streets. Well, I mean, to be fair, so do the Democrats. <laughs> right. I, right. I see where you're going. And so, you know, that's not pro-life. Republicans support the death penalty. That's not pro-life. Republicans yep, right. support taking away health care so that people get sick and die. 
That's not pro-life. Yeah, they don't support a living wage. And we also know that the best way to reduce the abortion rate is to bring people out of poverty and fund good sex ed in public schools and provide cheap, uh, easy access contraception. That's how you drop the abortion rate. You don't have to be pro-abortion to be pro-choice. And that's what I'm saying. If pro-life is more, if you're pro-life, you're not just anti-abortion, you're pro-life. So let's support policies that are actually pro-life. And then if you're pro-life, which party supports more pro-life policies? People, they give up on the argument of saying like, well, look, we tested it. When you have abstinence-only education, you know, the abortion rate skyrockets. And then when you give people access to birth control, it goes back down. So maybe if you don't want the abortion rate to be high, maybe what should we do about that? Mm -hmm. It's not make abortion illegal. That's not going to (laughs) help. Right. And here's the thing you just reminded me of that in this context takes on a a brand new life. So there was a poll done uh, not too long ago that was looking at social issues breakdown by different demographics. And one thing that surprised me in it, one thing that didn't surprise me was that uh, the black community, generally Democratic voting, Democratic leaning, were not super in favor of gay rights. But that's pretty easily explained, right? There's a strong religiosity among a lot of black voters. And so when it got to the abortion issue, I was really surprised to find that access to abortion is a thing that something like, I don't know, it was like 60% of black voters support. You're even chasing away at that point, like who you count on to be the, like the quiet voters in your caucus. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we'll see how that does for them. (laughs) <laughs> in the midterm I, I mean i mean i hope not i hope we don't see it i hope that the massive outcry that they saw among their base uh as soon as that statement came out it causes them to go like oh shit maybe this wasn't a great idea mm-hmm. like maybe we do actually have to stand for something because right. here's the thing if they're willing to compromise on something like that that so many people view as a a fundamental basic human right a human dignity what else will they not compromise on they basically said it there's nothing there's nothing that they're not willing yeah, to exactly do. trying to trying to snatch loss from the jaws of victory nancy pelosi releases a statement just a couple of days ago after they killed the terrible senate health care bill and said the democrats are willing to work with republicans here are a couple of things that were in that bill that we actually might be able to come to the bargaining table on like what are you doing? Oh, dude. Why, why are you doing no, this? I thought that was genius because all the things that she asked for were good things. She said this part of it where you said you'd give more money to the catastrophic fund or whatever. Yeah, we support that part of it. So I think I think that was actually a clever twist to pick out the like increased funding parts of the bill. Yeah, but the whole thing still is based in this crappy Republican written Obamacare bill that nobody likes like really nobody like they people don't want it to go away because right. it's better than what we had before but it's not good nobody likes it even to put that out there and to just say like hey look we'll reach across the aisle first you know if you if you're saying like well we give up we don't know how healthcare works you gotta go you gotta do something it sounds like uh bernie saying he's gonna introduce like a single payer bill you know to see what's kind of support it gets that'll be interesting to see yeah. Oh, yeah. What if Trump comes out and strongly supports it? He's like, I said I would cover everyone and the government would pay for it. And that's what I intend. Me and Bernie are teaming up, getting this done. 
I think somebody predicted that or at least hypothesized <laughs> it on this very show like several months ago. That's how you know it'll never happen. What if Trump actually did just decide to be like a political maverick and, you know, he's going to come out in favor of a bunch of stuff that has objective support? If that was his instinct, he probably would have started on that. Well, but they've been they've been saying the last couple of days that Trump's trying to like get all of the Republican Party establishment out of his cabinet, out of his administration. He's really trying to isolate himself from everything at this point. Uh, we'll see if it works. I mean, they've got to actually come out with some policy proposals. What do you think at this point? So many Republicans are starting to speak out against him. Do you think that somebody tries to primary Trump? I mean, do you think that is a realistic possibility that another Republican says, like, I'm, you should nominate me instead of Trump to run for president next time? Hmm. I would love it if that would happen. I mean... If they were super smart, what they would do is have him step down at the end of a first term or citing just decline to, to run for real business or health or family or, you know, he'll never do that. He's too big of a an egotist to be able to actually just step down gracefully. I don't know who would run. Mike Pence isn't going to do it. You could step down ungracefully. That's for sure. And, you know, <laughs> that's an option for him. Right. Rumors are swirling that Mike Pence has begun planning his inauguration party, apparently, or whatever. Yeah, according <laughs> to Maxine Waters, though. Yeah, oh, know. yeah. She's got the inside scoop, dude. Maybe. She called Dollar Tree, and she was like, how many red, white, and blue balloons? That's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, That's. Dude. I think For I know sure. what's going on here. Although Spicer, a few days ago, did say that if Pence did run, he would happily serve on his team so. yeah that was some serious spicer uh shade at trump right there be like for oh sure. i i wouldn't i'm not working for trump but if pence runs maybe yeah i'd love to work <laughs> for, for pence. Sure. great guy and speaking of what other republicans are saying and this this goes back to what we were talking about before the break both with the uh you know these congressmen the nevada and the colorado congress people trying to double down on the Republican Party line and saying it's not that we're not Republicans is that Trump is a bad leader for Republicans. Uh, we also had this amazing op-ed in the New York times, the, the paper of record for the hashtag resistance um, publishing from sassy Ben Sass from our Ooh. own home state of Nebraska. What to do with kids this summer, put them to work. We should almost play some beautiful Nebraska piano-themed background music for Ben <laughs> Sure, Sass. yeah, we, we can make that happen. Yeah. That'd be great. Some, like, soaring, like, pastoral music. Beautiful Nebraska Peaceful prairie land. Basically, Ben Sass, Ben Sass's uh, argument, if, see if I got it right from my recollection, was... You know how robots are taking all the jobs? Let's throw away the robots and start using child labor. <laughs> I think that's what it boiled down to. Well, I mean, kind of. I, I, mostly, I think the thrust of this article was that, uh, like, kids these days... Yeah. They just don't detassel. That's it. That's they don't detassel corn like I did, and it was I hated it, and they should do the thing that I hated. There wasn't more to that sentence. It's just like a like an old man yells at clouds thing. Yeah, so he tells this, uh, he tells this story... About how when he was in high school, he woke up at 4.30 in the morning to go detassel corn. And talks about, like, what a character-building experience that was and how kids don't get, jo like, summer jobs anymore. And then, like, several paragraphs later is like, of course, that job doesn't really exist anymore because so much of it has been mechanized. But the point remains, kids need to be 
like details. He was like, I send my I sent my daughter out to a cattle ranch to have her like impregnate like cows and stuff and like Right, but that was clearly like an internship. Sure. Like they paid for her to go and do that. Right. <laughs> we, we sent, sent her to daughter. a job that hired her because of her skills. No. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if your job is so easy that a 14-year-old can do it, like flipping burgers at McDonald's, and a robot can easily do it, why are we wasting time on anyone doing those jobs, much less children who should be going to school and reading books? It's a complete waste of time. Absolutely right, which he acknowledges in the article. And he talks about like the value of traveling during the summer and seeing other communities and he talks about the value of reading and how that exposes your mind to new ideas and i don't even know what point he's trying to make yeah, here. bosses don't like it if you do either of those things you know like <laughs> right <laughs> they don't I like mean, if you take time off yeah my boss is always like you know what yeah time. this is reading this is reading week just read whatever you want <laughs> don't do any work just just chill out you know watch tv Here's like it's great slip. read that you know <laughs> Well, and he was talking about how he he noticed at Midland University where he was like the youngest person to be the president of a university. Right, just like five years out of all of his Ivy League education, which, I mean, that's an opportunity most of us get. Yeah, exactly. But he noticed how few kids, you know, had hard labor experience before they went to school. I understand that parents, you know, worked really hard to provide kids with the opportunities, avoid some of the less savory or, you know, less fun parts of their childhood and have opportunity, you know, have things that they didn't have. That's the point, isn't it? You know, just to keep progressing and doing better. Right. Uh, That's like all the people in the 50s used to be like, I'm working in a coal mine right here. I'm just slaving my life away. And I hope my kids grow up and they have to also work in this Slave coal mine. Right. Slave yeah, away. that's the American dream. Because it's, it's character no. building, you know? I just want a life for my kids that's not better, but is just literally identical to my own life experience exactly. in every way. Because <laughs> exactly. it was the best. I don't want them upstaging me or anything. You know? <laughs> While we're on this topic, I do want to give a shout out to Paul Musgrave, who's a political scientist and professor at uh, UMass Amherst who dug into some Bureau of Labor statistics and answered Ben Sass in so many compelling ways. And he he had this whole thread. I'll, I'll try to remind myself to, to post this to the Liquid Flannel Twitter. But he talks about how the teen labor workforce has been dropping for all of these different reasons. One of them is that a lot of them are going to work, but a whole bunch of them are going to summer school. A whole bunch of them are doing unpaid internships. A whole bunch of them are doing volunteer work. And also, a lot of these jobs that kids used to get, these retail jobs, service jobs in particular, that used to provide summer employment for for teenagers is being occupied by, like, economically disenfranchised, like, baby boomers. So, I mean, it's just, it's an absolute teardown of this ridiculous, this pastoral fantasy that he has that... All these kids can go work on a farm. Like, dude, we just saw a story that came out of the UK that said that like eight out of 10 UK kids has never seen a cow in real life. (laughs) Another like eight out of 10 kids in America live in urban centers. Like how many lawns are there to mow if you're living downtown? 
how many like how how much corn right. is there to be tasseled if you're living in the middle of Chicago or Minneapolis? It goes hand in hand with the green roofing initiative, right? You know, Can I mow you, your just, roof, you so. tie them together, right? Well, and I love how he's saying, well, you could still break even with a lemonade stand and everything. Oh, my God. That's the best line, isn't it? You could break even. You could sit out in the sun for eight hours a day all summer. People are literally like shutting down lemonade stands, you know, with the police because they're like, well, you don't have a license or a permit to do this right. over well, here. Well, it's Ben Sass. I assume that he's talking just about white kids. Well, of oh, course. Absolutely. And better yet, those kids in D.C., those black kids that literally got handcuffed for selling coolers full of bottled water right. You know, on super hot days. So yeah, exactly. He's definitely not talking about those kids that are right under his freaking nose. You know, a lemonade stand can at least break even. Like, I thought you were telling people to, like, work for something. Like, that's literally make work at right. that right. point. You're making your money back that you spent on right. the thing. That's ridiculous. Right. Like, yeah, you're, you're selling lemonade or well, whatever. Well, he still likes the gig economy. But yeah, know? it's like, you know what? Why don't you go be like <laughs> Jimmy Carter? Go work for Habitat or something. Like, go do something. Go do charity well, work sure. and things like that. You know, all this stuff about like, well, you should just go work for Monsanto detasseling corn or something. Like, what? No. Right. Like, go do something that <clears throat> right. actually helps a human person, please. Well, right. Well, and so many people push this notion, this ridiculous notion that sports is a vehicle to an education in university, that you have so many kids that their whole summer is in swim lessons, tennis lessons, golf lessons, you know, playing travel team, baseball, soccer. You oh, know, absolutely. Like, and that goes that goes beyond athletics, too. You all know, of those kind of things. Boy Scout. People who do, like, speech and debate and stuff, they're in camps also. You know, there's public high schools where you now have to volunteer X amount of hours in terms of service projects or community service before you can graduate. Times are changing, Ben. We understand that. We get that. We get that it's kind of scary to people, but, you know, right. we just have to adapt to it and say, what's the equivalent yeah. of that? So, no, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty scary for a white junior senator who grew up rich, went to Ivy League schools and was able to get incredibly gainful employment pretty much directly out of his education certainly seems to represent the experience of most people who live in nebraska i think and you know it's funny too because this this makes me think of mark zuckerberg who's basically trying to retroactively do this by becoming like a rich kid harvard kid to a billionaire and he's like, right. I never really lived the salt of the earth life. Time to do a road trip to Iowa, and <laughs> right. eat at all the diners, meet yep. real America. I bet Ben Sass and Mark Zuckerberg would be best friends. They did should Zuckerberg, start hanging out. Right. Well, did Zuckerberg ever go back and graduate? I don't even think he graduated. They probably gave him some honorary degree or something. Well, I don't know. Of course, of course, for sure. But the point is, it's like, do you think that that dude was out detasseling corn when he was, you no, know, like right, a kid? Exactly. I mean, you're, you're tweeting the shit out like on social media right. that was made by somebody that's never even seen a stock of corn, let alone, you know, detasseled it. So, right. I don't right. know. It, it goes both ways, but. Well, and also, I mean, publishing his op-ed in the New York Times, he's got to be trying to sell a book or oh, something. Oh, yeah, he has because... a book out. No, he totally is. Otherwise, like, shouldn't yeah. he be talking to, like, people in the Midwest about that? You know, don't we hear all the time that 
like real America doesn't read the New York Times? What's he doing? Here was the best thing that Ben Sass said. During the healthcare debate, Ben Sass literally put out a statement that was like, most people out there don't want health insurance or they only want a catastrophic plan. <laughs> what? Right. You just don't hear from them because they don't just come to your office and scream, oh, I want a catastrophic plan. Oh, I want a catastrophic plan. But yeah. they're out there. You you just got to find them, you know? And it's like, you don't. they don't know what they're talking about. Like, you... Right. First of all, these people don't even exist. You're literally just making people up. Or they're people who are parroting back Republican talking points that they don't really comprehend, but they just hear like, well, that's going to... I heard the deficit was bad, and they said it would help right. the deficit and taxes, and I'm going to get my taxes back. I mean, even Eric Cantor came out like last week <laughs> or a amazing. couple weeks ago and... Basically said, yeah, we kind of knew that the stuff was BS, but when you're when you're riding that aggression, that wave of anger, you, you're just gonna kind of go with it. And it's like, man, well, you know, well, the ironic thing for Ben Sass is, you know, there was a report that just came out saying Nebraska had the worst performing economy in the country. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and that's basically due to because they don't put enough teenagers. To well, work. yeah, exactly. Data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis showed that from January through March of this year, the economic output declined by 4% when compared with the final quarter of 2016. The next like worst states were South Dakota and Iowa. And it's totally because it's based on, you know, an agriculture economy right now. So, sure. you know, the, the economy that sheltered us throughout the uh, housing bubble and everything like that collapsing in 2008 or whatever, that's uh, it's not really sustaining us right now. Or it's, it's at least at a dip right now. So it usually goes peaks and valleys. But Right. Well, sure. I mean, you've got uh, other countries that are amping up their agricultural prowess. You've got you know the the sector in the united states doesn't produce as many jobs as it used to because of mechanization you know you can't employ a whole bunch of teenagers who are going to spend their money seeing the new transformers because it's all been mechanized away when we're productive all wages go down that's always been a problem with agriculture and the republicans have effectively dismantled any kind of safety net for for people who are actually growing food that's not terribly surprising that it's on the downswing. And then, you know, we also have a whole wing of this country that doesn't believe that climate change is going to have any impact on stuff. When we see historic fires in wheat fields in Kansas last year, they don't want to look at like cause and effect and go, you know, people have been saying climate patterns, the rainfall patterns that we've gotten used to in our country's literally most productive industry the backbone of our entire economy. It freaking blows my mind that Kansas outperformed Nebraska in terms of economic output. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, because Kansas is like the nightmare scenario for an economy. Well, but yeah, I mean, even Kansas is like, let's expand wind power, let's expand solar power. Yeah. And Nebraska's like, nah. Google wanted to build a giant uh, like server farm in Nebraska. And they were like, you know what? In order to do this deal in Nebraska, we think you should increase your wind power by 30%. Right. And Nebraska was like, no, thank you. And so they literally went like across the river to Iowa. And I was like, yeah, no, wind power. That's a great idea, actually. Thanks. Right. We were going to do that anyway. Jeez. Uh, and so now they have that there. And it's like, you're just, you're, it's like a brain drain. You're just driving people away because right. you're enacting right. these, po- you know, these unpopular policies. You're trying to take people's health care away. 
you're saying like, well, don't legalize marijuana. Let's make laws against gay people. You know, don't bake a gay cake. And it's like, maybe I don't want to live here anymore. Right. Well, I was just going to say like the, the marijuana thing, you know, they're, they're looking at the success of Colorado, Nebraska's neighbor state, and all of these things that they're able to fund now because of the tax revenue that they're getting and just the basic Absolutely. boost of their economy from like pot tourists and stuff. And instead, what you've got is state legislators petitioning the federal government for like, why aren't you cracking down on this more? Why aren't you protecting our borders from this thing? Like you guys when grow we could stuff. Be making so much money on that. Oh, yeah. No, it's nuts. Yeah, it makes no sense. Not even like, how about just hemp? How about just yep. hemp? That you, it's not even a drug that 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 does anything. It just which, makes ropes and stuff. Which Nebraska's already legalized, and they're still not growing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, because who knows what the federal well, situation? They, right. they said they said they have to find regulation for it. You know, the anti-regulation Republicans are like, well, we've got to wait for <laughs> right. the proper regulation. So you know, that that's why. I think we ended it with a high note again. Yeah, inadvertently, <laughs> it always comes back to that. So that's great. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, be sure to like us on iTunes and rate us on iTunes and share us with your friends on all social media. And you can find us. Yeah, we're on Facebook now. So like our Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Share that. Um, you can find us on YouTube. Subscribe to that. And also you can find us, as usual, on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. And you can find me at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where can they find you? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where are you at? I'm at Matt the Great with a W. And you've been listening to Liquid Flannel. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, everybody. Adios. Hey, Flannel Nation. This is the last episode to record on Monday nights. We're moving to recording on Thursdays, which means we can keep our content more topical, and you'll have new episodes to look for by Monday morning in your feed. We'll see you then.